I want you to know this morning as we prepare to study this passage of Scripture that I, I don't approach it um, taking for granted how tough it is to go through trials. Um, I've gone through trials in my life, and I know there are many of you in here who have gone through things or in the middle of things that I can't comprehend or imagine. But God's Word, and more importantly, God Himself, does know and does comprehend and knows exactly what we're going through. And we find comfort and assurance in His Word this morning. Overnight, uh, many of you, like myself, may have been awoken uh, from the sirens and the threat of tornadoes. I actually went to bed early for a, chance, for a change last night. Uh, Braden asked me if I would sleep with him. I said, sure. And I uh, took that opportunity to be a good dad and go to bed early. Um, so I uh, went up with him and laid down, and I'd been asleep for 30 minutes, and Steph came up, there are sirens going off. And I said, okay. So I came out down then. Of course, I couldn't get back to sleep. But, uh, you know, we had the threat of tornado, but overnight in Mississippi, uh, reports are saying and are in that probably upwards around 10 people, possibly more, have lost their life in tornadoes that came through Mississippi. Um, Matt Chandler, many of you may know of Matt Chandler, some of you may not. Uh, we heard from him a couple weeks ago, had the Together for the Gospel Conference in Louisville. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Day 2009, Matt Chandler, he's the pastor of Village Church in Flower Mound, Texas, had an unexpected seizure while at home with his, with his family. Doctors discovered that Matt had a cancerous tumor located on the frontal lobe of his brain that would demand immediate surgery and aggressive treatment. The tumor was removed successfully, and Matt is currently undergoing radiation and chemotherapy treatments. In the midst of this trying time, Matt continues to pastor, and his faith remains steadfast. He stood before 7,000 pastors and men gathered last week in Louisville to tell the grace of God, the strength of God, in the midst of trying times. In December of 2009, one of the most popular web bloggers in the world, Mike Spencer, the internet monk, was diagnosed with an aggressive cancer. A tumor was removed from his brain, and he began aggressive treatments of the disease. After a four-month fight, Mike went on to be with the Lord on April 5, 2010. Uh, throughout the struggle, Mike was filled with faith, peace, and hope. His request for his funeral was simply preach the gospel. What is it that enables men such as Matt Chandler and Mike Spencer to suffer well? That's the question before us this morning, is how do we suffer well? The question is not if we'll suffer or when we'll suffer, because we will suffer. The question is not will we go through trials, because we will go through trials. The question is when those trials come, when suffering comes, when it's not the other person, how do we suffer well? What, what is it that enables us to suffer well? Because the truth is, and you've heard time and time again, and I think Pastor Haynes referred to it two or three weeks ago in a sermon on, in Hebrews, the truth is that the righteous reigns on, I mean, the, the suffering trials reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. None of us are exempt from trials. None of us. As a matter of fact, we're promised that they will come. It's a, it's a surety that it will happen. And so how do we suffer well in the midst of them. What, what is the thing? What, what gets us over the edge? What, what is the key part of suffering well to where we can stand before others and say, my faith in God is carrying through. My God will not fail. He must prevail. I know that, and I cling to that. What helps us to do that? And this morning, we're going to look into the book of Isaiah. So turn your Bibles to Isaiah 43. As you're turning there, I'll give you a little background. Isaiah 
was a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah in the 8th century. He was a contemporary of Hosea and Micah. And, and he prophesied in the, the year, you know, from Isaiah 6, right, his ministry began at the end of the reign of King Uzziah. The nation at that time, and this is an important thing to understand for the context of our passage today, the nation at that time was in a, a time of prosperity in all areas except for their spiritual life. In their spiritual life, they had become blind to who God was and what he had done. They had rejected him and strayed away. And we see that in, verse, in chapter 42, verse 24 and 25, he says, he says this, Who gave Jacob up for spoil and Israel to plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned and in whose ways they were not willing to walk and whose law they did not obey? Now listen to this. This is not a comforting verse here. So he poured out on them the heat of his anger, the fierceness of battle, and it set him aflame all around. He did not recognize it, and it burned him, but he paid no attention. So we close chapter 42 of Isaiah with the people being punished for their own sin, for their own blindness, for their own uh, time that they walked away from the Lord. And, and that's where we close it and we pick up in Isaiah 43. Now listen to the change in tone in verse, 40, in verse 1 of chapter 43. But now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who forms you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place. Since you are, a precious, since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you. I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed and even whom I have made. There's basically, we see here in chapter 42 and chapter 43, there's basically two types of suffering that we'll experience. The first type is the one that we don't like to talk about. It's not a very popular thought in our day, but the first type of suffering is suffering of our own making. Hebrews 12, verse 5 to 12, reminds us that God does discipline his children. He disciplines us for our sin. We know that. We don't like to think about it. But there's sometimes that we simply are going through trials because of the consequences of of our own poor choices and our own sins. The second type of suffering and trials that we'll go through are ones that are beyond our control. These are the ones that we're more accustomed to, the, the tragic wreck or the, the cancer that's found or um, the volcano erupting or earthquake or tornadoes, uh, whatever it may be, the, the school shootings, these type of sufferings, that they're beyond our control, but for some reason, God has allowed or brought them into our life. And so these two type of sufferings come to us, and you'll notice in verse 2 of chapter 43 that God says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Every time throughout Scripture, it's when you pass through, when you encounter trials of all sorts. It's when. It's not if or maybe. Well, maybe you can get around them. It's when. They are coming. We will experience them, and this is how we handle them. 
So the truth that we need to get a hold of this morning is this, is that regardless of whether you're in the midst of a trial or a trying time due to your own personal sin or, or decision, something that may be a poor choice you made, or if it's something beyond your control, God has promised his presence through the midst of that. Because we see in 42, we see that the people have made poor choices. They've stepped back away from God. And in the midst of that, what does he do? In verse 1 of 43, he encourages them. He says, but now, this is who I am. Do not fear. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You're mine. Do not fear. I've redeemed you. I, I know you've made poor choices. I know you've strayed away from me. But do not fear. I have redeemed you. You're mine. And he goes in, and continuing in, we'll see that he goes into to trials of all sorts. When you go through the waters and the fires, when, when other trials come upon you, do not fear, I am with you. God comforts and is present in the midst of both types of trials. So the question then, and what we'll get from this passage today, is how do we suffer well? There's three things. If you're taking notes, there's three things. First, we obey the command of God. Second, we hope in the promise of God. And third, we cling to the strongholds of God. Three things that sometimes might be easier said than done. But we need to know them now so that in the midst of suffering, we can do them. We obey the command of God, hope in the promise of God, and cling to the strongholds of God. Let's look at the first one. We obey the command of God. Look in verse 1. But now thus says the Lord your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear. Do not fear. Regardless of the source of the trials, do not fear. Regardless of how long they are, do not fear. Regardless of how bad they are or how hard it is, how trying it is, do not fear. It's the call to live out Psalm 112. In Psalm 112, uh, the psalmist says this, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. And then later on he says, he will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is upheld. He will not fear. Do not fear, he says. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Whatever you're in the midst of, do not be afraid, for I am with you. I am with you. Now we're going to flesh this out as we go, because it, <laughs> at a glance... When you think through and you sit there this morning and you go, but you don't know what I'm going through and you're telling me, do not fear. How can God simply look at me and say, do not fear? I don't know what's around the bend. I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. Do not fear, he says. And that may seem trite and it may seem simplistic, but it's not because of the rest of this passage. Listen to the second thing that we do. We obey the command of God, do not fear. The second thing is that we hope in the promise of God. We hope in the promise of God. What is the promise of God? Look at verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Verse 5. Do not fear. Why? For I am with you. The promise of God is his presence. The promise of God is his nearness. It's, it's him in our life. It's the same promise in Isaiah uh, 7.14, he prophesied this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be born, will be with child, and bear a son, and she will call his name what? Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. It's the same thing, the promise of Jesus as he's comforting his disciples in John 14, verse 16 and 17. The Father will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. God will never leave or forsake you. 
do you realize this, that the comfort of God is known greatest in the presence of God? The comfort of God is known greatest in the fact that God is present in our lives. Do we realize that? Do we realize that? Today, if you are a follower of Christ, if you have been adopted into his family, if you're redeemed, if you're saved, and you stand here worshiping God, not only are you standing here alone, but the presence of God is in this place and in our lives. It's the same thing that Moses said in Genesis or Exodus 32. How will people know that we are any different if not for what? The presence of God. God is present in our lives. Do we depend on that? Do we cling to that? Do we live in faith in God's presence? Are we aware of God's presence in our life? Do we know that? It's Joseph. Think back on the story of Joseph. What phrase is littered throughout that story? Time and time again, what does it say of of God in relation to Joseph? This phrase, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. All these trying circumstances, how does Joseph persevere through them? The Lord was with him. He goes to Egypt. What happens? The Lord was with him. He's thrown in jail. Well, where is God? He's with him. God is with him through the midst of it. No matter what you're going through, no matter what we encounter, no matter what is held in store for me tomorrow, God is with me. He has promised me that. He has assured me that. We need to cling to that, mark it, know it, memorize it, that God is with us. Do not fear, I am with you. God says, do not fear, I'm with you. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, it's interesting, the Greek has five negatives there. Literally, it would read this, I will not, never leave you, neither will I not, never forsake you. That has to kill Lynn Shearer. Where, is she here? Uh-oh. Okay, I thought I called you out and you weren't here. That'd be bad. Five negatives. I will not, never leave you, neither will I not, never forsake you. God will not leave you. The Puritan Thomas Lye stated this. He said, do you pass through waters and walk through fire? God has promised to be with you. As warm as you may be, the flame will not touch you. God's promises are bonds and obligations by which he is firmly bound to believers. Faith boldly pleads the security of them. Lord, here is the bill you promised to pay. It is engraved with your hand and seal. Our trust is also strengthened by God's inviolable, steadfast, never failing faithfulness. God's goodness, listen to this, God's goodness inclines him to make his promises. His faithfulness engages him to keep them. Out of God's goodness, he makes promises to us. Because God is faithful, he will not break them. He will not break them. Look at verse 43. I mean, verse 3 of 43. In verse 2, he says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Now listen to this. Why? How do I know that? How can I trust that? How do I know God's going to keep his word? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I've given Egypt as your ransom cushion, Seba, in your place. Why is God's word better than my word to you? Because God is a holy God. There will be a time that I will look at you and tell you something, I'll fail. 
I'll fail because I'm a man and I'm not perfect. But the distinction is that God is perfect. God is holy. He is perfectly righteous in all he says and all he does. And when he says he'll be with you, he will be with you. It's not as if a sinful man standing before you saying, hey, I'll be there tomorrow at 5 when you're having that test run. And you get there at 5 and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and he doesn't show up. Oh, I forgot. I got really busy. I didn't hear the reminder on my phone. I just forgot. No, that's not God. Because God is holy and he is just and he is faithful. And when he says, I am with you, he means I am with you. Do you cling to the promise of God? Right now, is that all you're able to cling to in this time in your life? Is that all you're able to cling to? You heard in Psalm 9 that Scott read earlier that God will not forsake those who seek him. God will not forsake you. This may be the hardest time in your life, but God will not forsake you. He's present. Praise God. The third thing is that we cling to the three strongholds of God. There's three strongholds of God. You thought you were off easy on the third thing we were about to finish. This has three subpoints to it. So we cling to the three strongholds of God, right? Listen, in the midst of everything going on, in the midst of, of him offering and saying, do not fear, and him offering uh, the promise and telling us the promise that I am with you, in the midst of that, he knows that we have to have something to cling to. And he gives us three incredible things that we cling to and hold tightly to. As we go and we don't fear and we know God's with him, there's three things. The first thing is in verse 1 and 3 is God's redemption. What is his comfort? It's, it almost sounds strange at first when you read it until you think about it. He says, do not fear. Why? For I have redeemed you. I, I've redeemed you. Do not fear. I have I, redeemed you. And he goes down. You see that he, um, in verse, uh, verse 3, I've given Egypt as your ransom. Cush and Seba in your place. I've redeemed you. The reformer John Calvin said this. He said, the Lord has not redeemed you so that you might enjoy pleasures and luxuries, but so that you should be prepared for enduring all kinds of evils. That he would strengthen you and carry you through. He's redeemed you. Do not fear. I've redeemed you. The statement serves to encourage the people in two ways. When he says, do not fear, I've redeemed you, there's two things that, that encourage, two ways that encourages you. First, he reminds, it reminds them of the, the work and the redemption past, right? What does he say in verse one? Listen, it says, verse one, he says, I created them as Jacob and I formed them into Israel. Who's Jacob? What does Jacob mean? The one who wrestles and strives with God. And after he's wrestled with God, he changes his name to Israel and forms them into Israel, which means what? God prevails. He's reminding them of the work past and the redemption of the time in Egypt where he offered Egypt as a ransom for his people. The waters did not crush God's people. The waters crushed the people of Egypt. The plagues did not crush God's people. They crushed the people of Egypt. He offered the pay and paid the price that was necessary. The second is this, is it points them ahead to God's future redemption, the ultimate redemption Check this out. The, the verb there in Hebrew is what's known as a prophetic perfect verb. It's forward-looking. It looks forward. 
So it's looking forward to the redemption that's to come. It fills them with the hope of the Messiah that God has a plan of redemption for his people. That, that God says, do not fear, I've redeemed you. I've redeemed you. How do you know? Well, here's one thing, because look at what I've done in the past. Look at where I've brought you. But here's another thing. You have the hope of the Messiah. You have the hope of the Messiah. And I will send him, and I will save you, and I will ultimately redeem you from all things. Redemption, we cling to the redemption. We rest in the assurance that in the midst of suffering, we know whose we are. Verse 1, what does he say? I have called you my name. You are mine. You are mine. That in the midst of it, I know whose I am. I am his. I'm God's. He has redeemed me, and I am his. That we cling to that. The second thing, the second stronghold that we can cling to is this, is God's love. In verse 4, he starts out, he says, since or because literally due to the fact that you are precious in my sight, since or due to the fact that you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Why is God redeemed? Because he loves us. It's the unmerited grace of God. Do not think that the Old Testament is shy or kneel of the grace of God and the love of God. This is a clear statement of God's love for us. He redeemed us not because of something we did or who we are, but because we are precious in his sight and he loves us. A clear reference to God's grace. It's Romans 8, 31 and 39, if you want to turn there with me. Listen to this, God's love, the greatest picture of God's love that carries us through trials. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who is the one who justifies? Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or the sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We cling to the love of God. Why? Because we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. No matter what hand you've been dealt, it will not separate you from the love of God. It will not. Persecution, death, famine, the sword, it will not separate you from the love of God. An illness, it will not separate you from the love of God. Death of a family member will not separate you from the love of God. There is nothing that can happen to where God says, well, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't love you anymore. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No. Nothing will separate us from God's love. And we cling to that stronghold. We know it. Now listen, remember this. When we think of the love of God and we think of the extent of it, you remember we said that the form of I have redeemed is forward-looking. 
It's a forward-looking verb. It's the assurance that God gives us of redemption to come in the Old Testament. Now listen to this. It's more than assurance. This is a divine foreshadowing of the redemption that would come through Christ. We, we are amazed that God would give Egypt and Cush and all sorts of men for his people out of his love. That he would pay that price. Wow, that's amazing, God. No. What's amazing is that he would give his only son to pay the price for you and I. That's amazing. That is amazing. In the Old Testament, what did they cling to? When they heard the love of God, they heard the redemption of God, they looked at some stuff, Egypt and stuff, and they looked back on that, and they looked forward to the Messiah. They clung to the hope of the Messiah. What do you and I have to cling to? We cling not only to the hope of him to return, but the knowledge of the Messiah. We cling to the knowledge that God did not spare anything when it came to redeeming his people. He spared no expense. He paid the greatest price, and he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for us. That is the definition of his love. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love in this. What is it? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the extent, the depth of God's love, and that's what we cling to, the knowledge of the Savior. We cling to that stronghold. The last stronghold he gives us is God's purpose. Theologian John Oswald said this. He said, much can be endured if we have a sense of destiny born out of particular identity. Strip that away from us and we think going on in life is hardly worth it. Verse 7, everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory. God has given us the greatest identity and the greatest purpose that we could possibly hope for or imagine, that we were created for his glory. How is this comforting? You look and say, how is that comforting for me as I go through a trial that I was created for God's glory? Here's how. As it reminds us that God could not be unmindful of his people. God cannot be unmindful of his people because to do so would be to neglect his own name. It doesn't mean that things are going to be easy, but it means that he will never be unmindful of his people. Never. First Peter 2 9, we're called a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own possession. We know whose we are. We know whose we are. The knowledge of God's purpose reminds us that we're in the midst of trials. He is carrying out his purpose and using that for his glory. That all things will work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So today, whether you're in the midst of a valley, perhaps that's you, or perhaps you're on the edge of it, the reality is all of us are either going through a trial or about to. Wherever we are, the command is do not fear. Do not fear. Why? Because God is with us. How do we know God's with us? He's redeemed us. He loves us. And he's called us 
according to his purpose for his glory. Do not fear. Do not fear. Some of you sitting in this room undoubtedly do not know Jesus Christ. You don't follow him. You're not a Christian. And I ask you, how do you get through trials? What do you cling to? The hope that you can make it through? Tornado's pretty big. Cancer's pretty tragic. The truth is there's trials that we can do nothing about. We are too weak and finite. But God is all-powerful and infinite. And He alone will carry you through trials. So I want to know, if you're not a Christian, what are you leaning on? What are you clinging to? Because as a believer, I know that I cling to the presence of my God in my daily life, His redemption, His love, and His purpose. What do you cling to? I'm going to leave you with this word. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. Regardless of what you're going through or about to go through, do not fear. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Do not fear. May God grant us the faith to suffer well. And regardless of what tomorrow holds, that we could rise and sing, it is well with my soul. Let's pray and we'll stand and respond in worship. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of scripture. We thank you for your promise that you are with us in the deepest valley in the darkest day Regardless of the circumstance, the cause of the circumstance, God, you have promised that you're with us. And God, I pray for people in this room who are in that valley, who don't know how things are going to work out. God, I pray that you encourage them and fill them with hope and strength and faith. And God, may they go through that trial and that time of suffering well. God, prepare the rest of us to suffer well in the future. Whatever that day may hold, that again we would cling to you, God. We thank you and we praise you for your love and your grace. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.